everybody, and welcome. You are listening to the Preparedness Breakdown Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to everything preparedness. My name is Terry, and I am your host here on The Breakdown. For those of you who don't know me, I have a background in the fire service where I have worked as a professional career firefighter and paramedic. I have also served a couple years in the military, and I have spent the better part of the last 25 to 30 years learning and prepping in some form or another. I currently own a preparedness supply company and serve as an instructor in many disciplines, including firearms and medical training. So with that covered, let's get started with today's episode of the Preparedness Breakdown. And today is Saturday, February 26th, 2022, and this is Episode 9 Alpha, Communications. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about communications. In Episode 8 Alpha, Security, we talked about how military teams set security when they arrive on location of an operation or a mission. This is one of the first things that they do. Another thing they do is to establish on-site communications. We're going to look at communications from this perspective, but we are also going to cover a host of other communications concepts. Communications. Communications encompasses every form or method of sending or receiving information from one party to another and vice versa. This can be accomplished by verbal and nonverbal methods. Communications is a vast subject and can be super overwhelming when you get down to the nitty-gritty about specific communication methods. I know this firsthand from my years of experience operating radios both in a professional setting and as a ham radio operator. The amount of knowledge I have in communications is adequate for most applications, but I would say I am nowhere near being an expert, especially when it comes to the intricacies of advanced radio operations from a technology and detailed perspective. There are people that geek out on the technical aspects of radio, and thank God for them because that is just a notch or 16 above my capacity to onboard that level of sophistication. But we are not going to go super technical here today. Communications can be super overwhelming, and I do not want to confuse you with a bunch of information that you do not need to know. What I would like to do is educate you on some methods of communication that will be helpful to you in your preparedness journey. So we're going to keep it pretty basic and talk about some practical applications that will allow you to add some tools to your toolbox. So without further ado, here we go. The first thing that I will address is the need for clear and concise messages. Regardless of the method used to communicate, it is vital that messages are sent clearly and received clearly. But how do we know if the messages are received clearly and that they received the message that we intended to send? Do you remember as a child playing the telephone game where everyone sits in a circle and one person tells the next person something and then that person passes the message on to the next person and so on and so on until it comes around to the beginning? we then find out how badly the message changed from when it started. 
This is a stark example of not having clear and concise communications and how easily it is for messages to get misconstrued along the way. The only way to have clear and concise communications is to receive feedback. It is vital that you close the loop and engage in and provide feedback so that the sender knows that you have received the message that they sent. Feedback does not mean that the receiver needs to recite things verbatim back to the sender, just that they provide feedback in a manner that allows the sender to know that their true message was received appropriately. Let's look at an example. Let's say two brothers, Scott and Mike, are working together on a large farm and using radios to communicate back and forth. Scott sends the message, Hey Mike, this is Scott. We need 14 bags of fertilizer down at the south barn. Mike should now provide feedback to tell Scott he got the message. So Mike would then reply, This is Mike. I understood 14 bags of fertilizer down to the south barn. Then Scott acknowledges that Mike's feedback was correct by saying something simple like, Good copy or Roger that. This is a great example of a closed-loop communication with proper feedback. But what if Mike did not receive the message correctly and his feedback was this? This is Mike. I understood four bags of fertilizer at the North Barn. Scott would then know that the message he sent was not received correctly and he would need to more specifically clarify his intended message by acknowledging the errors. It would sound like this. Mike... This is Scott. Negative, negative. It is 14, one, four bags of fertilizer down to the south. Sierra, Oscar, Uniform, Tango, Hotel. Or he could just describe the barn by other features, like if the north barn was red and the south barn was white, he could say down to the white barn. This should clarify things for Mike, and Mike should be able to provide proper feedback by saying, this is Mike. I now understand one four bags down to the white barn. Scott could then acknowledge the corrected feedback by saying affirmative or that is correct. Again, we have now closed the loop so that everyone involved in the communications has received the correct message and is on the same page. And as a side note for all you CB radio junkies out there, 10-4 good buddy is never an acceptable form of sufficient feedback. You must receive actual feedback for you as the sender to determine they received the message you intended to send. Remember, you have not communicated until there has been sufficient feedback. Now, I don't want you to think that we've covered radio operations here. Far from it. All we have covered is providing sufficient feedback to a message being sent and closing the communication loop. We will talk a little bit more about radio communications a bit later in the podcast. Let's talk about some of those nonverbal methods of communication. Everybody usually assumes that nonverbals are your mannerisms, your body posturing, facial expressions, and the like. Which is true, but nonverbals also come in the form of written words, sights, sounds, and visual signals. Some of the older methods of communications include sending a carrier pigeon, sending signals up in smoke, tapping it out in Morse code, or even letters sent via the Pony Express. But some of these can still be used today. 
The written word can be used by sending messages on a note or letter that can be carried and hand-delivered by a messenger. But another way it can be used is by communicating via codes written on a map or other documents. I like to use this form of messaging particularly on maps by indicating where the next meetup or rally location is. If you have a predetermined method of letting others in your group know where to look for the messages, then you can use written communications to let them know where you are headed. But Terry, doesn't that compromise our operational security by having it written down? And what if the map falls into enemy hands? Glad you brought this up. There are ways to code and decode your written messages to enhance your security should it fall into the wrong hands. One method I like to use is to write decoy locations on your map in blue, black, or red ink, and even use highlighters to indicate or make them look important. This provides the enemy with a clear map of where you will not be going. You can make it look super legit with these decoy locations listed all over the map in bold, bright, and standout fashion. When I was a kid, we used to get these children's activity pads that were called invisible ink pads and they would come with a couple of invisible ink pens that would change the color of the page to reveal a picture or a drawing, or would reveal an answer to a puzzle or something similar. We would also go to a carnival or an amusement park where you would walk through a maze or a room where they used ultraviolet light to make your clothes, your shoelaces, zippers, and other items appear as if to glow in the dark. It was pretty cool and a fun thing to go through. These technologies can be combined and used by you to enhance your security. These invisible ink pens are available today and can be purchased with the invisible ink pen on one end and a push button ultraviolet pen light on the other end. We already said we would boldly put all of our dummy locations on the map using permanent marker or ink pens. So then you mark your map with your actual rally points in invisible ink. You need to make sure all of your group members have a couple of the ultraviolet light invisible ink pens so that they will be able to illuminate the map with the ultraviolet light and see the invisible ink markings on the map. But to the naked eye, nobody will be able to see where your actual locations are marked. This is just another way for you to communicate while maintaining your operational security. Another form of nonverbal communications is hand signals. Think about someone who doesn't know sign language trying to understand a message that a sign language interpreter is sending to their deaf recipient. I am not suggesting that you learn or communicate using sign language, although it might not be a bad idea. But I think about using other hand signals to communicate amongst your team. Military teams frequently use hand signals to communicate so that they do not give away their position to the enemy. In certain situations, they can communicate for 24 to 48 hours without saying a single word and only using hand signals. This does wonders for your ability to communicate and maintain noise discipline. We briefly talked about coding as a security measure in Episode 8 Alpha Security, but how is it effective as a communication tool? Code words or phrases used as a communication tool can be very effective if everyone is on the same page. You come up with a range of phrases to mean different things. Say you decide to use presidents' names as your code words. So if everyone knows that Washington means arrived on location, and Lincoln means mission accomplished, and Roosevelt means returning to base, then when these terms are used in a phrase, everybody will know what's going on with whoever is sending the message. Say you just completed your task and were getting ready to head home. 
you could use a phrase like, I liked Lincoln as a president, but thought Roosevelt was more impressive. When hearing this simple phrase, your team would be able to deduce that you have mission accomplished and you are returning to base. Code words and phrases can be a great way to communicate with members of your group, team, or tribe, as long as everyone who needs to know the code knows it. As a security measure, this code should be changed regularly, if not daily, so that your codes do not get compromised. Earlier, I mentioned that some of the older methods were using carrier pigeons and sending signals up in smoke. While using carrier pigeons is not practical in today's era, I have heard of it still being used in a nostalgic fashion. And long gone are the days of using a fire and blanket to send messages using the smoke from the fire. With that said, smoke can be utilized effectively for signaling purposes. The military uses smoke, usually in the form of a smoke grenade or smoke canister, to provide not only concealment, but also for signaling. On the concealment side, it is used to lay down a thick cloud of smoke as to obscure the enemy from seeing you so that you have time to move to a different position and get behind something that will provide you with cover. At the very least, it makes it so that the enemy can't see you and therefore has a much more difficult time at hitting you, their target. But that tactic is not what we are here to explore. We are talking about signaling. One of the most common uses of utilizing smoke for signaling is to provide a plane or a helicopter with a visual signal of the location where they need to be. It can be difficult from the air to see people and other landmarks due to the vast view that is often obscured by the canopy of treetops. When the people on the ground hear or see the aircraft, they will pop smoke to grab the attention of the pilot or the aircraft crew. Looking over the horizon and seeing nothing but trees makes it like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But when smoke, especially colored smoke, is used by the folks on the ground, it can be eye-grabbing and easily pinpoint your location. Using smoke for signaling is not limited to the summoning of aircraft. Like we mentioned in the above segment on code words and phrases, different colored smoke can be used to signal other members of your group regarding not only your location, but also your immediate issue or problem. For example, what my group has done in the past is to use specific colored smoke to indicate to our backup teams what problem we have. If we have a security threat or are being attacked or overrun or are needing backup for a security issue, we would pop red smoke. If we were experiencing a medical issue, someone needed medical attention or needed evacuation, we would pop blue smoke. Smoke is also a great tool to have if you are out hiking in the forest or wilderness and get into a situation where you need help. Yelling at the top of your lungs or blowing a whistle may fall on deaf ears, but if you use black, purple, or really any other color smoke except white, it will usually get people to investigate what is going on and come seek out the origin of the smoke. I say not white because white is too commonly associated with a fire that has been extinguished and under control. White does, however, have other tactical advantages over other colors in certain situations. And now, a word from our sponsor. The Preparedness Breakdown is sponsored by Iowa Preparedness Supply. Iowa Preparedness Supply provides emergency preparedness supplies, products, items, and training to individuals, families, and groups of all sizes. Any natural or man-made disaster can be difficult to navigate. However, 
Those who plan ahead of time and are prepared have a greater chance overcoming the challenges associated with a long or short-term disaster. Plainly put, failing to plan is planning to fail. That is why Iowa Preparedness Supply wants to get the supplies, equipment, and training you need into your hands at a reasonable cost. We offer items like solar-powered flashlights, fire starters, emergency medical supplies, essential oils, ballistic armor, smoke grenades, less-than-lethal rubber ball and pepper ball guns, water filters, gas masks, and firearm laser training products, just to name a few. We also offer group training in the areas of communications, security, emergency medical, preparedness, group and team dynamics, and firearms training. You can reach us by visiting our website at www.iowapreparednesssupply.com, by phone at 712-600-4509, or by sending us an email at info at iowapreparednesssupply.com. Okay, so let's get back to our discussion. Now that we have talked about some nonverbal methods, we will discuss some verbal methods of communication. I am going to forego any discussion about cellular phones, landlines, fax machines, face-to-face -face discussions, text messages, video conferencing, and other technology-based types of communications because most people are familiar with these and are the normal means of communications for most people on a daily basis. I am going to talk just a bit about two-way radios and their utilization. But before we discuss them, I did want to mention that from a prepping standpoint, one method of using a system to communicate when normal means of communication fail is the use of satellite phones. These are fairly expensive, but they do provide an alternative method of communications. I do not have much experience with satellite phones, so I will not elaborate on them. I will let the satellite phone experts do that. I just wanted you to be aware of them so that you can investigate that as an option if you so choose. Okay, two-way radios. These are an excellent tool to use for short-distance communications. They can be fairly inexpensive, but can also cost a pretty penny. You can find some cheaper models at your local big box store and a blister pack. These lower-end walkie-talkies, if you will, cover the family radio service frequencies and usually come with 14 to 22 channels. To operate on these frequencies, you do not need a license. Most other radios, you do need a license from the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, to operate on an extended list of frequencies. Now, I am sure someone who is listening and knows this better than I will correct me if I am wrong, but it is my understanding that you can operate on a radio without a license as long as you are not exceeding the maximum of 2 watts for channels 1 to 7 and 15 to 22 and 1 half watt for channels 8 to 14. The FCC does indicate differences between radios approved for family radio service versus general mobile radio service and dual service FRS slash GMRS radios. I will also add that there are provisions in the law that allow radios to be utilized during an emergency in the case where safety of life, protection of property, or a station in distress is present. 
It is my understanding from a practical application standpoint that when a true emergency exists, that the rules concerning radio use and licenses somewhat go out the window. Here is my disclaimer. I would never advise anyone to break the law in any fashion or operate a radio without a proper license. With that said, I will tell you a short story of a group that I once knew that is no longer in existence that used the Beofang UV5R radios for their group communications. These are ham radios that can operate on any of the ham bands dedicated to ham radio technician or general license levels. They also have the capability of operating on the family radio service, general mobile radio service, and multi-use radio service frequencies. Before I get any hate mail about how crappy the Beofangs are and all of the technical ham operator issues they believe are caused by the Beofangs, I will say they are being used in this example only for demonstration purposes and because that is what this particular group was using at the time. This group had some, but not all of their members, that had a ham radio license. The group would use the three sets of frequencies listed above to communicate amongst themselves. They did not use any of the ham bands or frequencies because most of the group was not licensed and did not have call signs or what they call a station ID. When ham operators use a ham frequency, they are required to use certain verbiage and give their station ID every so often. These procedures limit the effectiveness of operations during an event or situation. When you use your walkie-talkies that you picked up at the local Wally World, you can use them and talk freely without any specific procedures. So this group would use those frequencies on their Beofangs as they typically had better range and capabilities than the cheaper walkie-talkie radios, especially when the antenna was swapped out for a better one. Now, I am not saying that this group did or did not do anything technically illegal, but it remains that their communications were enhanced by using the equipment, not using the ham frequencies, and being able to communicate without added procedural restrictions. Another thing that this group did with their radio setup is they used an earpiece and microphone set with their radios, which allowed them to plug into the radio, put an earbud in their ear, and push the separate mic button when they wanted to talk. Think about the earpieces you see when watching a show that has FBI-type security people. When getting the cheaper blister pack radios, when you talk on the radio, the person on the other end hears everything coming out of the radio speaker. Not only do they hear it, but everyone around in a two-block radius hears it also. Using an earpiece and mic setup will allow only you to hear what is coming out of the speaker. Just like plugging your earbuds into your phone and nobody else hears what's playing on your phone except you, having the earpiece-mic combo also allows you to transmit in a quieter manner. Proper use of how to operate a radio and how to talk on a radio is another class in and of itself, and we won't cross that bridge here. But I will close the main topic of this podcast with 10 general radio guidelines. 1. Do not use 10 codes and avoid jargon, slangs, and acronyms. 2. Use plain English to communicate. 3. Always provide feedback. Repeat the message back and never allow a 10-4 to be acceptable. Number 4. Remember, you have not communicated until there has been sufficient feedback. Number five, be short, clear, and concise. Number six, know what you are going to say 
before you key the mic. Number seven, avoid distracting mannerisms like, um, uh, okay, okay, uh. Eight, hold the push to talk button down for at least one full second before and after you speak. Number nine, prioritize your messages and keep your messages task oriented. And number 10, maintain radio silence unless you have important communications or you are answering somebody. And that will bring us to our kit collection segment. In the kit collection segment, we select and review one or more items of kit or gear that is a good item to have as part of your collection of prepping items or preps. So when I say kit, I am talking about all the gear, loadout, clothing, equipment, and preps that you have and will acquire and can use in an incident should one occur. Kit collection. The item we have selected for today's kit collection segment is the EG Grenade Company's Smoke Grenades. The smoke grenades in the consumer line from the Enola Gay Grenade Company are available to the public. There are a few different sizes and types of smoke grenades available. The main decision you need to make is, what are you going to use the smoke grenades for? Concealment or signaling? This is important on which grenade you select. Some grenades will put out the same amount of smoke for either 45 seconds or over 90 seconds. So in the case of concealment, you want all of that smoke out right here, right now, so you would want to use the 45 second version. These are the EG-18X and the smaller twin vent burst grenades. If you want the smoke for signaling, you will want the longer lasting 90 second deployment. These are the EG-18 and the smaller WP-40. I would recommend that you get the larger EG-18 and EG-18X grenades for actual real life situations and get the smaller burst or WP-40s as training smoke grenades. That way you get the practice with the cost-effective smaller grenades and have the larger ones ready for the real deal if it comes to that. All of these grenades are wire pull and cold burn, which means there is no fire associated with them. The units do get warm, but still no active flame. They come in up to nine different colors depending on the specific smoke grenade model. Smoke grenades are great for tactical situations and for preparedness, for concealment, signaling, and the white may mimic the appearance of a tear gas deployment. There are also smoke grenade pouches available for you to attach to your tactical vest, bug out get home bag, or backpack. They are also great for use in photography. And they are available in blue and pink for those interested in doing a gender reveal. Smoke grenades and pouches range in cost from $10 to $22. Unfortunately, we cannot ship smoke grenades due to hazmat shipping requirements, but they are available at our Iowa location or when we are on site at an event. You can also call us to make arrangements for getting the grenades to you. If you are interested in purchasing any of the smoke grenade products highlighted in this segment, they are available for you to view on the Iowa Preparedness Supply website at www.iowapreparednesssupply.com. However, you will not be able to purchase them on the website. You will need to call us to make special arrangements for purchasing the grenades. You can do that by calling Iowa Preparedness Supply at 712-600-4509. A link to each of these items on the Iowa Preparedness Supply website 
has been included in the show notes listed in the episode description. Announcement. If you missed last episode, we made the announcement that Iowa Preparedness Supply and the Preparedness Breakdown will be attending and participating in a Preparedness Expo coming up next month in Harrison, Arkansas. The Tactical Survival and Defense Expo is being held the weekend of March 11, 12, and 13 at Camp Jack, which is a Veterans Resource Center in Harrison, Arkansas. The event is being hosted by Cindy Seiler and Ace Promotions, LLC and has just a $5 admission fee for the event. Kids 13 and under are free. All classes at the event are free with your paid admission, and there will be approximately 80 tables of vendors, including the Iowa Preparedness Supply Booth. I will be on hand and will be teaching two classes at multiple time slots throughout the weekend. Class 1 will be What is an IFAC? Individual First Aid Kit. And Class 2 will be Mutual Assistance Groups, team dynamics, and organization. We will have all of our preparedness products available at our booth. This is the only preparedness show going on in the United States for that weekend. So get your prepper on and come out and meet us, visit with us, and get some great education at the Tactical Survival and Defense Expo. You can find information about the event, including hours and location, in the show notes listed below in the episode description. So today, we covered your communications and talked about both nonverbal and verbal methods to communicate, including using hand signals, coded phrases, signaling smoke, and two-way radios. We also introduced you to our seventh kit collection segment, Smoke Grenades, from the Enola Gay Grenade Company. I hope this was informational for you and that you can apply it to your own situation. All right. That will wrap it up for Episode 9 Alpha, Communications. Hey, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would encourage you to help us out by doing a couple of things. One, like and follow us. Two, spread the word and tell others what you are getting out of this podcast. Three, participate with us by commenting and discussing this podcast with us and others on Patreon or our Facebook group, helping us to build a community of preparedness-minded people. Four, you can also help us out financially. The simple fact is this. The podcast requires funds to produce it. If the funds are not available, the podcast will not be able to keep going. If you are receiving value from the podcast, I would encourage you to help keep this podcast going by making a donation on the Iowa Preparedness Supply website or by joining the P38 Club on our Patreon site. Subscribers will have access to exclusive content and specials when they become available, and you will receive a monthly discount equal to your subscription amount for purchases on the Iowa Preparedness Supply website. That gives you the opportunity to get your subscription fees back while still enjoying exclusive content and access. You will also be included in special access to discussions with myself and have input into future content for the podcast. I really hope you will consider helping us out in these ways. You can find us on Facebook, Bullhorn, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, Player FM, Listen Notes, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. You can visit our website at thepreparednessbreakdown.com or hear us via the embedded player at iowapreparednesssupply.com. Again, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors about this podcast that's dedicated to preparedness. 
You can also reach us by sending an email to info at thepreparednessbreakdown.com. You can find links to our websites, Patreon, contact information, and other show information in the show notes listed below in the episode description. And that will do it for this episode of The Preparedness Breakdown. Until next time, stay vigilant, keep learning, and keep preparing.